Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Today is Pentecost, the last of the three great feasts of the festival half of the church year, the others being Christmas and Easter. Each of these feasts celebrates a great miracle and event in salvation history. The first, Christmas, is a celebration and remembrance of the incarnation of the eternal Son of God and his birth of the Virgin Mary. The second, Easter, is the celebration and remembrance of the very same Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead after giving his life as an offering for sin. The third, Pentecost, is a celebration and remembrance of how Jesus Christ now ascended to the Father's right hand, sent the Holy Spirit. And just like those other events, there were signs that accompanied these miracles. First, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind. It wasn't an actual wind, but just the sound of a great wind. This was for the disciples. The roughly 120 followers of Christ who remained after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which included the 11, and now Matthias to make 12, his blessed mother, the other holy and devout women, and some of his earthly family, and then others. This great sound was a representation of great power, so that they would know that what Jesus had said was being fulfilled. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then there was a sign which appeared, which demonstrated to the disciples that what was happening was happening to them all alike, men and women, young and old. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Following this, they began to speak in other tongues, that is, languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Yes, they began to tell the mighty works of God, that is, what he had done in Christ Jesus. This is what brings the people, and knowing that God is a God of order and not of chaos, the disciples all would have done this in an orderly way. Maybe one that was speaking Latin was in one corner speaking to those from Rome, one speaking Demotic in another to talk to the Egyptians, one speaking Parthian in yet another, and so on and so on. All done so that all those who spoke those languages could gather around that person and hearing them tell them the mighty works of God. Yes, the sounds and the sights and the speaking in other languages were not the true miracle, but the signs that accompanied it. The true miracle at Pentecost was the one which continues on to this day was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all of the disciples of Jesus. Young and old, men and women, were filled with the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of the words of the prophet Joel, which St. Peter quotes as follows. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will send my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even my males and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and magnificent day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why would this be such a great miracle, that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh? What is different about that? Doesn't that happen now all of the time? We must first see the differences between the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God did not, in fact, pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. Yes, it was his Holy Spirit who accompanied his word, which was read in the hearing of the people, and which was committed to heart by the people and taught to their children. And yes, it was the Holy Spirit who created faith in God's promises contained in those words, especially the promises of the coming Messiah. But the Spirit did not remain in and upon all. No, the Holy Spirit only rested upon those whom the Lord called to be his prophets or to fill a prophetic role. After the event, after the covenant, sorry, was confirmed on Mount Sinai, Moses and Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders went up onto the mountain and ate in God's presence. The Holy Spirit then filled them. Two of those who were supposed to be there, but stayed in the camp, however, were still filled with the Holy Spirit. Joshua reports to Moses as he was coming down the mountain about this event, saying, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Soon, Moses, soon, but not yet, not until the coming of the great prophet like you. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. The Spirit fills this one and that one, so that there is always one or many who have God's Holy Spirit amongst his people. This is why Joel's prophecy and its fulfillment is so far-reaching in scope and has such grand implications. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. All flesh, not just Jews, but Gentiles, any who belong to the Lord. This is spelled out as the prophecy continues. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Not just men, but women. Not just the young, but the old. There is no distinction here. All who belong to the Lord are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no distinction, no preference, no partiality. He fills his disciples, his people, with his Holy Spirit and the gifts which he gives. And this is plain enough in the New Testament, which teaches in this post-Pentecost time that the gifts of the, about the gifts of the Spirit. St. Paul writes, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And St. Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The gifts that he gives varies, but all who receive the Holy Spirit receive gifts of the Spirit meant for edifying, 
that is, for building up of the church of God as we serve one another and steward the gifts, spiritual and temporal, which he has provided for us who believe in Christ Jesus, who he has saved for this purpose. And though the gifts vary, they come from the same Spirit, the very same whom God promised to pour out on all flesh, which was fulfilled in Pentecost. And while he came with a great sound like a rushing wind on the disciples that day, he does not do so today. Rather, he comes and works through the appointed and promised means of word and sacrament. At the end of St. Peter's sermon on Pentecost, which we heard the beginning of in our reading, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Yes, while he once had a great sign accompanying his coming, now he still performs the very same miracle of filling all flesh. For while in baptism we do not see much happening other than some water being poured and some words being spoken, but it is there that Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit and fills the heart of the one baptized, just like at Pentecost. So he works through the word, preached and taught and read, and through the Lord's Supper to build and strengthen the faith and to communicate the promised forgiveness of sins to those who believe. Now here we must make a correction to the errors of our Pentecostal or charismatic brothers and sisters, which so flood the airwaves and internet. Now the charismatics of all stripes will say that the gifts of prophecy, which the prophet Joel mentioned, and which Peter quotes, had ceased until a revival in the 1800s, which brought them back. They believe that the prophecy was not quite fulfilled at Pentecost, but in them. They say that only they have the, this prophecy fulfilled because they claim to tell the future, decree and declare things into existence, and claim supernatural insights into people and events. This, they say, fulfills Joel, but not quite the original Pentecost event. But this isn't the case, brothers and sisters. As our Lord says of those that teach falsely, you will know them by their fruit, and the fruit of their doctrine is not good. But indeed, brothers and sisters, if they were right then about their claims, then God would be a liar. Because St. Peter says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you and give ear to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Yes, it was fulfilled in Pentecost, but it did not end at Pentecost either, but continues out throughout every generation since. Yes, every generation since Pentecost has participated in this prophecy by God's grace. Yes, every generation since has even prophesied. I have prophesied. I do prophesy. I am prophesying. And so have you, and so do you. I am telling you the truth, for biblical prophecy is not fortune-telling. It is not a cheap trick which can be emulated and replicated by charlatans at a fair. No, biblical prophecy in both the Old and the New Testament involves making known the will of God. That is what the Old Testament prophets did. Many times, making known God's will at that time involved speaking of things to come, 
but it always involved making known God's will to the people. Yes, brothers and sisters, we make known God's will, his saving will to others as well. Whenever you share the gospel, whenever you recount the story of salvation, whenever you tell of Christ's death and resurrection, yes, you are prophesying. We can, as we confess, we prophesy. In all of our vocations, we prophesy as we steward the gospel and the gifts of the Spirit by sharing the precious will of God to save which has been revealed in his Son as an offering for sin. And hear how Dr. Luther describes this in a way that I couldn't do justice paraphrasing, this gift and miracle of the Spirit's indwelling. What are all other gifts together compared to this gift? The Spirit of God himself the eternal God, comes down into our hearts, yea, into our bodies and dwells in us, rules, guides, and leads us. Thus now as concerning this passage of the prophet, prophesying visions, dreams, and prophesying are all one thing, namely the knowledge of God through Christ, which the Holy Spirit kindles and makes to burn through the word of the gospel. Indeed, this has been since the day of Pentecost and continues now, and it will continue until the end. As Peter continues quoting from that prophecy of Joel, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. But the Lord found it important to include this immediately after revealing the Spirit's outpouring, shows that the outpouring of the Spirit will continue from Pentecost until the great and magnificent day, the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. For many of the Old Testament prophets, including John the Baptist, God did not reveal the time between the Messiah's first and second coming. They saw it together, and so the prophecies combined them. This is why John the Baptist, while in prison, asks Jesus if he was really the one who was to come, because he saw the grace and the mercy part, but he did not see the judging part. This is why we speak about the time between Christ's first and second coming as a day, a short time, for now is the day of salvation, the day of God's long-suffering patience in continuing to call people to himself. The signs of the coming judgment, solar and lunar eclipses, war and natural disasters continue to happen, and they will until the end of time. To the world, they're signs of judgment and of fear, but to those who believe, they are signs of our coming redemption. For God makes an unshakable, solid, and irrevocable promise in this prophecy, to which makes known his will. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yet another miracle, equal to that of the Spirit filling so many, that in all, no distinction, who call upon the name of the Lord, that is, who turn to him in repentance and faith, will be saved. Our sins, brothers and sisters, deserve judgment, and we in our impurity are not worthy vessels of the Holy Spirit. Yet through Christ's all-atoning sacrifice, he has taken away sin. All who call on the name of the Lord, who come to him, repenting of their sins and trusting in his promises, receive the very things that they promise, the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. 
and more, those who believe receive the Holy Spirit and all that he brings with him. For he strengthens faith, he brings with him the peace of God which surpasses all understanding which we have through Christ. He leads us into all truth through the word, and he preserves in us true teaching. He accompanies us in our lives so that we may prophesy through so that he may prophesy through us as we share the gospel, the saving will of God. And yes, it does apply to you. Yes, it says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh will want you to doubt this promise. To think, yes, everyone but me, I'm too much a sinner. Nonsense. To hell with the devil's lies. Our sin is great, but Christ is a greater Savior. He has given you, dear believer, the Holy Spirit, so that he may comfort you in your affliction, so that he may lead you and guard you, so that when you sin, he may repent you, to turn you back to your Savior by faith. Yes, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that everyone is like a blank line in a contract. Faith takes hold of that and writes its name in there and receives the precious promises of God. Cherish it. Keep it close at heart so that when the devil, the world, and your flesh attack you at those times, by God's grace you may trust in him and daily repent and call upon him in faith. And may God, the Holy Spirit, who spoke through the mouth of the holy prophets, who rested upon Jesus Christ at his baptism in the Jordan, and so anointed him, the Christ, who descended upon the disciples at Pentecost, and who descended upon and filled you at your baptism, and anointed you, Christian, bless you and keep you in the true faith until Christ our Lord calls you home, and you attain the everlasting life and the crown of salvation according to his promises. God is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.